The Crucifixion of Jesus. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a notice written above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. I don't know if I can manage the next part of the story. <clears throat> it's carved on my mind with a jagged knife. It hurts every time I go near it. But as I now see, 
It's the very heart of everything. Why Jesus came, what he had to do, what opened the door and let in all the light. But at the time, there was no light at all for either me or the friends and family of Jesus who gathered quietly at the cross when we knew we had to be there. They turfed Jesus out into the narrow street, thronged with pilgrims for the festival. I stumbled out too, wanting somehow by my presence to take some of the weight of the cross from him. But someone did, in fact, do just that. The cross beam that Jesus had to carry was a foul, dark beast of a thing, far too heavy for a victim to support, already weak and scared as any victim would be. It landed on Jesus' shoulder with an agonizing crunch. He staggered, regained his balance, and then set off unsteadily. He clearly wasn't going to make it. And when the crossbeam crashed to the ground again, taking Jesus with it, the sweaty, overweight centurion pulled Simon from Cyrene out of the crowd. Simon was just in from the fields, making his way home. But his strong physique and dark skin marked him out, and he suddenly found he was at the center of the action. Jesus staggered on, with Simon taking as much weight as he could. I willed them on as I pushed my way through the uncaring crowd. Jesus managed a few words with a group of women crying their laments, but it was touch and go whether he would make it to the pitiful hill just outside the city gate, where criminals were subjected to the worst death the Romans could devise. What was going through the mind of Jesus when the nails were being hammered through his wrists and feet as he was laid out on the unforgiving wood? I've no idea. But I guess there was a clue when he suddenly spoke his first words for a long time, whispering a prayer that his father would forgive these people because they didn't know what they were doing. It was astonishing that he should pray for his torturers like that. I was only a few yards away at the time, so I can vouch for it. I couldn't keep away, but every moment was agony, though the merest outer edge of what it was like for him. That demonic cross was first raised and then dropped with a practiced thud into its familiar hole, jolting Jesus' whole body agonizingly. You could see the mist of pain dull his eyes. Then he rallied a bit and tried to focus and see who was there for him. I looked around too and saw Mary, broken beyond belief, and a few of the others creeping back silently to witness the death of their dreams. What hurt even more were the cruel taunts of the leaders who had done this, and the soldiers who offered him vinegar, and even one of the criminals alongside him. They all had this theme that if Jesus really was this Messiah, this King of the Jews, 
It was what the inscription over him said. If he really could save others, why didn't he save himself? It was the same temptation he'd faced in the wilderness a lifetime ago. If you are the son of God. Most of the time, Jesus was far away in a world of his own. But when the other criminal being crucified remonstrated with his thoughtless partner in crime, Jesus roused himself and turned an exhausted smile on him and said he would be with Jesus in paradise that very day. It was the promise of an angel, but there was much more to go through first. It began to get dark. That was truly odd because it had been a fine day. It seemed to my fever imagination that the powers of evil were wrapping themselves around us or maybe that nature itself was participating in the drama on the hill. I was told later that the curtain in the temple that divided the Holy of Holies from the holy place had been torn apart mysteriously at the same hour. These were strange times indeed. But then the inevitable happened. Jesus' breathing got more labored and desperate. Each breath was torn out of him as he struggled for survival. We heard one last message come from his dying lips, words that were somehow full and reassuring in the midst of my emotional chaos. Here is my spirit, Father. You take care of it now. And his head fell into his chest. There was no more movement, no more sound. Life had gone out of him. There was silence. Then a single bird started singing its heart out. I was transfixed. The centurion, the same one who had dragged Simon out of the crowd a few hours ago, was also spellbound. He was looking at the bloody, peaceful body of Jesus. And he dared to say with absolute conviction to no one in particular, this man was undoubtedly innocent. And he filled the word innocent with far more meaning than it usually contained. Meanwhile, those of us from Galilee who had feasted on life in the company of Jesus and tasted the sweet wine of the kingdom at his hand, looked on, unable to think, unable to move, unable to weep. He'd gone. Lord Jesus, today we pause to remember your sacrificial love that shone light into the darkness, that bore life from such emptiness, that revealed hope out of devastation, that spoke truth through incrimination, that released freedom in spite of imprisonment and brought us forgiveness instead of punishment. Thank you that we can walk in the light of your love, hope, truth, freedom, and forgiveness.
this day and every day. Amen.